Thanks so much for being with us on this Thursday afternoon. Well, the World Happiness Report is out. This is the 2023 edition, and it takes a look at where people are the happiest, what causes people to be happier. It's been 10 years since the first World Happiness Report was published. So let's take a look at how happy people are. Joining us right now to do this is John Hellowell, Professor Emeritus with the Faculty of Arts at the UBC School of Economics. Thank you so much for taking some time. My pleasure. Uh, Going through some of the highlights of this report, uh, there's a lot to get to. We won't get through it all, but can you kind of explain what specifically is this looking at as far as trying to figure out what makes people happy and perhaps who is the happiest? The first thing we do is ask people all over the world to think of their life as a whole and where do they go, sit on a zero to 10 scale? And then what we report is the average of that. Then we do research trying to find out what it is that makes them happy. To an astonishing extent, we find that the connections they have with each other and the help they give to each other are extraordinarily supportive of their evaluations of life. Hmm. And th- how do you go about doing that, getting, uh, getting feedback from people around the world? Uh, the Gallup World Poll set up uh, some 15 years ago uh, it asks a thousand people in each of more than 150 countries many questions, of which some of the key ones are the ones that underlie our World Happiness Report. I know that one, a couple of the chapters, or they touch on perhaps things that that happened during COVID-19 or during kind of the height of the pandemic. How much does that play in, or does that play in a lot? Do you think to the answers and to what we've learned about people in this in this report? For the last. Uh, three years, uh, we've looked at uh, COVID-related evidence all the way through, and it's been to an astonishing extent. Uh, Although emotions have gone up and down in various countries in various ways, average life evaluations have remained very stable. Uh, So part of our research has been to explain what's going on on the positive side that affects all this turmoil on the negative side. And partly, of course, people were asked to reformulate their lives and relive them in different ways under pressures they couldn't control. And to a remarkable extent, people showed a resiliency and a generosity of spirit and a willingness to help each other that for many people was very surprising, although we've seen it in previous disasters. Hmm. And that's one of the chapters. So chapter four kind of touches on that or or goes more into that doing good and feeling good. Those relationships when we're talking about altruism, uh, beneficiaries, doing good things. And and so did that was that kind of a common thread then with different countries, with the, the answers that you were getting from different countries around the world? Well, this benevolence, which is measured by three questions in the poll, donations have volunteering and helping of strangers are were all up during COVID years, especially the helping of strangers. The other two were a bit constrained by constraints, but the helping of strangers has gone way up a quarter and uh, it has stayed up uh, encouragingly. It's something that will play into the uh, World Happiness Report session that opens the International Positive Psychology Association meetings, which for the first time here are being held in Canada and in Vancouver on the 20th to the 23rd of July, because these results play in exactly to the interface between how people live their lives all over the world and positive psychology, which looks at how these positive things, in fact, feed back and make people not only feel better, but reach out and help other people. 
Did it also ask people or did you get a sense of, of services that people have as far as access to health care, uh, having a family doctor, uh, access to, to other services in their community or in their homes, uh, that the connection between that and happiness as well? Uh, that uh, specific kind of question doesn't get into the survey because there's national context differ a lot in that respect, and the survey has to limit its questions. Lots of our other research has showed that, but most important and underlying that is a question that's in the survey, which is in times of trouble, do you have someone to count on? Of course, it can be a professional or a friend or a family. And uh, having that turns out to be about the most important thing, distinguishing people who rate their lives highly and those who don't. Hmm. And what about kind of the difference then, or did you see a difference even within the same countries of people that answered the poll? Was was there a range in that there was a definite part of the population that uh, describes their lives or describes being happy and, and those who didn't? Well, that's one of the things we looked at this year for the first time. We divided the populations into two halves, the happy halves and the less happy ones, and then looked and seen what's happened to their emotional experiences and lives during uh, COVID. And we did see some widening of the gap, the happiness gap, between the happiest half half and the least happy half. Um, But still, even the unhappy half did remarkably well during this period, although obviously not as well as the happy half. And how do you define it? Or is there a working definition in that? I think somebody could describe themselves as being happy. That doesn't mean you're, you're happy and whistling 24 hours a day. But how do, you, how do you explain it? Or sorry, define it? Really good question. Happiness as an emotion does go up and down, right? You have happy moments and sad moments. Uh, the measure we use is something more general. It's how happy are you about your life as a whole. So it's a judgment. And so you evaluate today and tomorrow together and think of things, good and bad times. And that's much more stable. And it reflects much more the circumstances within which people are living, the social connections they have and the support they have. That's why we use it as a powerful umbrella measure within which the emotions of happiness and sadness they play their roles, important roles, but nothing like as important as these other factors. Hmm. And and I know there's the, the uh, very old saying that money does not buy happiness, but did finances play into this or do you look at that? Oh, absolutely, because especially to bring around the a lot of the caring professions and especially the social science professions, you have to convince people that you really have captured life and that involves taking account of all the things traditionally thought to be the spurs to happiness, such as health and wealth. And we find both income and physical health being very important. But their combined effect is really dominated by the four factors that are more social in nature, having someone to count on the generosity of the society that you live in, the trustworthiness uh, of others uh, and the sense of freedom to make your key life decisions. I understand too, there's a chapter in this or chapter five looks at populations and the use of social media. Did you see trends or or how does that kind of play into it when you look at, at somebody's social media, how much they use it and, and how much that might be linked to happiness or unhappiness? 
Well, we previously had a chapter from a major specialist in uh, media use, especially by young teenagers, finding a lot of damage done through a lot of channels people are familiar with, especially for young adolescent females. What we learned during COVID, of course, that the, the social media, when people couldn't meet in, in person, were providing through Zoom and other channels a way of keeping up with each other and carrying on with connections way above and beyond what they otherwise could achieve. So one way of looking at it is that at long last social media in this context became social media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so who knew that that's, uh, exactly. that's what we could see happen with it. Uh, so if there was one takeaway from this, and I know you touched on on helping strangers, acts of kindness, uh, charity, volunteering, is, is that the takeaway as far as what really sticks out uh, with people who are happy, or, or what do you take from this? Well, the, the basic thing is people feeling they're in a trustworthy environment where other people can help them. One of the questions we ask from time to time is, do you think someone would return your wallet if you lost it? That turns out to be extraordinarily important to feel you're in that kind of society where people will look after each other. Uh, and, of course, seeing generous acts around you make you more inclined to believe, as you ought to believe, that people are really kind rather than selfish. Interesting. Do you know off offhand the, when you asked people if they thought somebody would return their wallet, was it a lot of people that said yes? What we found, surprisingly, around the world is that uh, the number of people who thought their wallet would be returned is about half as great as the number who actually returned it, where the wallets were experimentally dropped. So overall, people are simply too pessimistic about the society we live in, and you can see the reason why, what you hear on the news and so on, leads you to believe everything's awful things being done. But in fact, the reality of it is that people are generally out there doing good things to help each other. All right. Very interesting, interesting findings. And again, like you said, the the World Congress in Vancouver meeting in July. Thank you so much for joining us, John Hallowell, and for talking about the kindness, the happiness report. Thanks for being on the show. My pleasure and a happy day to you.